Welcome to Temple of Health Radio Show. This is Dr. Susan Kalb, and today I'm here with my guest, Oren Nadrich, who is the author of Live True, A Mindfulness Guide to Authenticity. Um, Ora is the founder and president of the Institute for Transformational Thinking. She's a life coach, a thought coach, a mindful meditation teacher, and also the author of Says Who? How One Simple Question Can Change the Way You Think Forever. Welcome, Ora. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Susan. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Would you like to give um, our listeners a little bit of your background and how you became interested in um, consciousness and mindfulness? Well, I'd like to say that I've been a seeker since I was quite little. I I think I was the um, sort of existentialist, unbeknownst to myself as a young girl. I was writing very contemplative poetry as a young girl, and so I think that my curiosity about what we're doing here started rather early, even though I wasn't fully conscious of what to call it at the time. Uh, It really wasn't until uh, my older sister Esther had a breakdown, a mental breakdown, when I was not quite 15 years old that really turned my world upside down. It was very devastating, uh, deeply traumatic for me. I am the youngest of four, and my psyche was just really developing. And I looked up to my sister. She was just the most extraordinary spirit. So when she had that breakdown, uh, as I said, it really impacted me. And what it did is it started to started me to embark on a on a deep psycho spiritual journey. And fast forward, I went into studying many um, types and modalities of uh, psychology and spirituality. It took me into uh, Jungian analysis, and it was really then that I realized that what I was searching for was not only to understand what had happened to my sister, but really to understand myself in relationship to this deep drama, trauma that I had experienced. And it changed my life significantly, and it, again, it, I continued embarking on this psycho-spiritual journey, became a uh, life coach, and then wrote my first book, Says Who. So you had um, also in your book indicated that you worked in the acting and um, field for a while. Is that right? I did. I was an actress for 10 years, and it was during that time when I was an actress, I was an actress and I also was a screenwriter, uh, mm-hmm. that the difficulty that I was having integrating uh, the trauma that had happened and really being proactive as an actress, it came to a fork in the road for me. And I started to mm-hmm. experience anxiety and I didn't know why. And that was also why I sought out help because I knew that I needed, you know, definitely some deeper understanding as to what was going on with me. Yeah, and a lot of times when we have um, obstacles, and it can be anxiety, it can be depression, it can be, you know, just physical obstacles, um, it's because we're supposed to shift directions and seek in a different direction, I think. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of people, their purpose in coming in to this world is to become an actor or actress. I mean, that's, that's their path, but... When you when you come up against a roadblock, um, 
I guess it's it's helpful to tell people what that roadblock can look like and how you can access guidance to know that you're supposed to go in a different direction. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting because I do consider that a, a pivotal moment, a profound moment in my life and really divine providence, if you will, that in as much as I was really passionate about being an actress and an author of screenplays at the time, there was a greater yearning in me. I didn't know it at the time, but I look at it now and think that, you know, through this incredible painful journey that I had been on and the devastation of what had happened to my sister, it really prepared me. It guided me for a higher learning and a deeper understanding of what I was meant to do. And once that crystallizes for you, once you have that aha moment, or as Jung called the individuation process of really understanding the self and what you are meant to be doing, that really coalesced for me, and it was a profound gift ultimately. And the other thing that we need to remember, and I'm seeing this um, in you as, as well as in my own history, I became, I took a course when I was at Johns Hopkins. I became an endocrine researcher and learned a whole bunch about endocrinology even before I was in medical school. And they were grooming me to be an endocrine researcher when I was guided to go to Washington University, which at the time was the number one, they said anyway at Hopkins, it was the number one thing for internal medicine to go there and then come back. But it turned out it was also the number one place for plastic surgery. So when I went, I did a lateral to plastic surgery, and then I became a plastic surgeon helping women with problems with breast implants. And other than the immune deficiency, the one thing that gets wiped out is their endocrine system at the level of the hypothalamus. So I had to understand all sorts of really detailed stuff about endocrinology in order to treat these patients because the endocrinologist didn't understand it, which was very interesting because it's a different, it's a biotoxin um, that takes out the endocrine system. It's not something at the level of the thyroid or the adrenal. That's fascinating. So even though you see you see the convoluted thing, so what I see for you, and you'll you'll either see this in your life or not, that screenwriting experience will come back. It'll it'll cycle back, and you'll have an opportunity to teach via that screenwriting thing. You know, the, mm. what you've learned, mm-hmm. you'll bring that back in. Wonderful. So that was a valuable time in your life that will will then weave back into your purpose. Wonderful. I love it. I mean, I think that all of the things that we experience, Susan, I couldn't agree with you more, even though we might not know it or see it at the time, and then when it does, like, come back full circle, which that full circle can come up in a myriad of ways, do you know, time and time again, do you know that it becomes so much more lucid in the understanding of, ah, had I not embarked on that, I wouldn't be able to then fold that into the work that I'm doing right now. I do speak about the workings of the mind. My sister's illness, her mental illness, I say she's truly my greatest teacher. And her Mm -hmm. destiny, as deeply tragic as it was, was my greatest teacher. And it really catapulted me into understanding the workings of the mind and mental illness as well as mental wellness. So it's fascinating how all of that works ultimately. Mental illness is so poorly understood. I mean, it's it's probably going to be 
another breakthrough, just like we've had breakthroughs in cardiothoracic and Mm -hmm. we've had even breakthroughs in plastic surgery. But Mm -hmm. psychiatry right now is totally dependent on pharmaceuticals, I mean, in in terms of medicine. Very, very few doctors, MDs, practice um, any sort of spirituality or, you know, um, even the Jungian or other types of um, therapy. My mom is a... My mother when she was alive, was a um, Ph.D. in child psychology. So mm. I, she got her Ph.D. when I was in junior high. So I just got mine. I read everything she did and helped her with her, uh, with her dissertation. So I, <laughs> so I basically, in junior high and high school, uh, was exposed to everything she was exposed to as she got her Ph.D. Mm. So that was important, too, because plastic surgery requires a lot of psychology. Right. And if you don't understand psychology and plastic surgery, you can get very, um, very off track. And Psycho-Cybernetics, which was the book that I've interviewed all sorts of people, Deepak Chopra, Larry Dossie, Bernie right. Siegel, Norm Shealy. And uh-huh. so many of them have said that their first exposure to spirituality was a plastic surgeon writing a book called um, Cybernetics. So right, I remember. It's, yeah. it's just really fascinating. Mm-hmm. It is fascinating. I mean, it really is fascinating to understand that these concepts, these ideas, and these, you know, theories, if you will, there's no mutual, you know, exclusivity around it, that there is this integration, this cohesiveness of understanding mind, body, spirit. And Mm -hmm. I find it interesting that up until just recently, you know, as a mindfulness practitioner myself, and a meditation teacher, that it took so long for this to be folded into the mainstream, if you will, and not thought of as alternative or woo-woo or new age, these concepts that are, you know, now even through the neuroscientific studies of the, the, the brain, and that it's now being more accepted, readily accepted, into a deeper understanding of the healing and the wholeness of who we are. Yes, it still needs to be integrated into medicine, though. The stronghold that the pharmaceutical and device industry has on medicine because of the potential to make money has to be broken. And that's um, until that is, we're not going to be able to really teach at at a significant level the hierarchy, you know, the downward causation, if you want to, Right. Go with what Dr. Amit Goswami talks about, the downward causation of many, many uh, problems that humans have, including mental problems. You know, in other words, there's a, there's a mental uh, and, and or emotional um, disconnect, and then that results in physical disease. Absolutely. Um, that's not taught yet. No, it's not. I mean, I think that, yes, with this sort of, if you will, upwardly mobile trajectory, you know, even though it has uh, it has a ways to go, I couldn't agree with you more. And you're a doctor, you know, you understand even in the teachings of medicine, do you know, um, I am all in favor of integrative medicine, you know, to be able to understand the, the whole mind-body connection. You know, the fact that we can even have this conversation today. Um, I remember introducing uh, things to my doctor years ago in talking about, mm-hmm. you know, being a holistic uh, approach to to medicine and, and the foods that we eat. And I remember the first time my doctor looked at me like, huh, okay, that's interesting, because he hadn't learned that in medical school. Right. You know, that wasn't taught to him. So, and, yeah, and unfortunately... An, it, it, 
you know, the pharmaceutical, as you said, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, my husband and I were watching the news the other night and just, you know, commercial besieged with, you know, all of these medicines that they're shoving down your throat at a time when they know everybody's mm-hmm. watching TV. Do you know, it's still, we know, do you know, we know that that is alive and real and it's, it saddens me personally because with my work and my approach to understanding the workings of the mind and even with something like my first book says who the whole notion of questioning one's thoughts the cognitive connection of thoughts create reality do you know and people mm-hmm. saying to me with says who wow or i never even thought to question my negative thoughts do you know it's not something i ever even thought to do and yet we you know we're we're quick to stand up for ourselves when someone says something unkind to us, but we are constantly saying unkind things to ourselves and accept it readily. Mm-hmm. What's what's interesting is you've got to start with the concept, and you do this very well in your book, by the way. You have to start with the concept of staying in the now. Yes. Um, let's talk about that first because so many people live in the past. You know, they keep going back. You know, they'll have a, a stimulus in the present that takes them into the past and then they have all the feelings and emotions that come with that. Or they go into the future, usually a negative future, and with their thoughts reinforce a negative outcome, which is not helpful either. So let's talk a little bit about the the principles of mindfulness. And the first one is stay in the present. Right. And, and staying, telling someone, hey, just be present, or hey, stay in the now, or be here now, I mean, as much as those are wonderful you know, things to remind ourselves to do, we need practical application to staying present because, as you just said, we're overwhelmed with so much stimulus, you know, and now more than ever we are, you know, completely addicted to our devices and gadgets and we Mm -hmm. are, you know, doing things like scrolling down and in this heightened state of stimulation where our adrenals are just maxing out right and left, so we have to help it, and that's what mindfulness does. Mindfulness is an inherent quality that each of us has, but we don't know how to use, or we haven't thought to use it, or we didn't even know we had it, do you know? So that's really what I propose. I offer up and say, hey, we have this wonderful ability to be present, to be aware, to be in the moment that we're in right now. Let's help it along by you know, enhancing and strengthening this skill set so that if or when we're about to step out of the moment, which we do constantly, and I even give it a name in Live True, I say oftentimes you're either a future chaser or you're a past dweller. And more often than not, we're not a present moment experiencer. So we have to do things like be aware of when we're about to slip out of a moment and catch it quickly so that when we start to be at the effect of that stimulus and we start to let our mind wander into the what-ifs and what-coulds and what-might-be and what-should-be, which is a future idea of a time frame that doesn't even exist yet, or we let our mind wander into trying to undo the past, which has come and gone, we have to really then again, remind ourselves very mindfully, I'm in this moment of now. And this moment that I'm in right now is the only moment there is because I'm alive in it right here, right now. 
and let me surrender, or what I say, show up in the moments of our lives. And the other thing that's in the now is the guidance that you need to get you into the correct future. In other words, if you're able to meditate and keep your mind kind of open rather than on transmit all the time, you can receive information and instructions that can be very helpful. And like really what I sort of say is you don't waste a lot of time and money and and effort if you follow those guidances. You know, it's like... If it's just very simple, when I go out of my um, building here, I can either go the highway or I can go the back way. So I always ask, and I get an answer one or the other, and it varies. And what I assume is that it's going to be the most efficient way and the safest way for me to go to my def- destination. And I think that most people are not in the habit of just going one way all the time rather than asking. Mm. It's just a simple example, but there's all sorts of opportunities for people to get guidance in their daily life that will make their life much easier. Absolutely, and I think that you you really avail yourself to a more open and expansive way of thinking by the more open and expansive way of being. So therefore, you're much more open to receiving. You know, some people call it downloads. I call it just being open to receive a higher form of intelligence so that you can really Mm -hmm. make decisions according to that as opposed to defaulting to old habits of thinking, do you know, that become really They're all based on the past, too, Mm -hmm. by the way. Your your habits are based on your past experience. Exactly. Exactly. Do you know, so this is a, I think this is a, uh, a new way of, of looking at things. It's a perception. It's a, it's a way of thinking. It's a way of being. You know, someone said to me recently, I don't really like to use the word discipline. And I said, well, I don't feel like I have to apologize for disciplining my mind, <laughs> Do you know, to training right. it, if you will. Do you know, you understand the, the monkey mind term, the Buddhist term of the mind mm-hmm. is restless. Right. The mind definitely likes to jump around like a monkey going from branch to branch on a tree. And so it does really ask for our help, do you know? And I really want to propose the idea of we can guide our mind. That's what we do in meditation. But it isn't just for the 20 minutes or the 45 minutes that we're on a meditation pillow or yoga mat. We need that discipline even more once we finish our meditation. Yeah, the meditation to me um, is just an entrainment almost. It, what it does is it just allows everything to, to become calm, and then probably within five minutes of meditating, I start getting impressions. And the impressions are often surprises, I mean, things I don't know about that then come true. So there's a whole level of um information out there and it was so funny i remember the exact place i was coming up the from the highway to the um to the light you know at my exit and i had this question put in my mind do you know what you're do you know when you're hearing your higher self and i said no how and they said because it sounds like you which i which is cracked up i just cracked up because it's true you know when you're when you're tuning into your higher self it's going to sound like you it's just going to know things that you don't know and that's the trust issue. You have to trust, mm. once you establish the connection to the higher part of your consciousness that can guide you, you have to trust that you follow it because sometimes the instructions are very 
you know, unexpected and strange. And you do have to have that trust in order to do that rather than just do what you would normally do out of habit. Right. And it's so lovely, I think, to really drop into that state of awareness, which is so available to us. You know, we so get in our own way. That, you know, brings to mind one of the meditations. I have a meditation on the at the end of every chapter in Live True, and I have a chapter on consciousness. And at the back of that chapter, there's a meditation to connect to consciousness, which is really just mm-hmm. a reminder of being present and being alive in the moment and being aware of one's breath and feeling that non-separateness of oneness. You know, these reminders that, you know, I think help us along to know that that is really the alignment of, you know, non-separation and we live our lives constantly at odds with that concept. When you really realize that everything is connected and that you have access to this greater awareness and greater um, guidance system. Um, I think that it is much easier to be compassionate, kind, Mm. and um, at peace, all the things that you talk about in your book. I think that naturally comes out of it because of the connection to the greater whole. And the other thing is, you know, I've always said my higher self is a bigger critic than I could ever be. If, I, if I'm if i unkind to somebody, I immediately hear about it, you know, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you shouldn't have done that, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that's the other thing. It it will gently put you back into the, the correct frame of mind and the correct way of treating people. Absolutely. And that state, you know, that oftentimes, you know, one can experience in something like meditation, you know, oftentimes people will say, you know, I dropped into non-self, I dropped into what mm-hmm. can be described as oneness or unity consciousness or, you know, connecting to divine presence. You know, it's personal, it's different for everybody. Whatever that means, you know, for me it's it's like connecting to the mystical. It's, you know, being in union with a reality for me personally that feels very non-separate. And, you know, it comes and it goes and it ebbs and it flows and sometimes we get glimpses of it or we get aromas of it. And Mm -hmm. then it can elude us when we, you know, easily slip back into non-present awareness, you know, and that's when we're, I think, very busy doing and not spending enough time being in that Mm -hmm. non-dual state, do you know? Well, a lot of people find it easier, um, especially if they're not don't have a regular med- meditation practice, to go out in nature. I think some CEOs play golf, you know, for that reason. Um, there's there's some people do music or another art form where they can really get into the right now, the present, and then focus concentration on something, and then that that also brings the meditative state out when you're focused. It does, and I think a lot of people don't, you know, haven't named it as anything. I mean, I I kind of bring it into a mainstream context, if you will, by calling it mm-hmm. your happy place in Live True. And I say, no, that is not McDonald's. You know, it's finding that <laughs> place within you where you derive mm-hmm. pleasure, joy, serenity, acceptance. And if you ask people, I remember many, many years ago when I had read a book by Bernie Siegel, and 
I was really taken by it. I read it as a young woman that really mm-hmm. connecting to people and finding out, you know, it's not just, you know, giving them a diagnosis of cancer, but connecting to something in them that de- they derive pleasure or happiness and and cultivating that and remembering where we do feel that inner peace and joy. And for many people, they've moved so far away from that. Or they don't integrate mm-hmm. that balance into their lives today. And we are so busy in this century. We are so busy, as I said earlier, doing. And, you know, also I want to add to that, as a meditation teacher, I've worked with plenty of people that will say to me, oh, or I don't have time to meditate. I almost don't want to say meditation anymore. I want to say, do you have 10 minutes just to sit and be quiet, just to follow Mm -hmm. your breath? Maybe put your hands on your chest and feeling your breath rising and falling. Or maybe just sitting Mm -hmm. quietly and just contemplating, you know, a rainbow coming through the window of the room of which you are sitting in. I mean, we run out of excuses. We really do. Mm -hmm. You know, just to spend 10 minutes just acknowledging and being in gratitude for being alive and being able to do something like follow our breath. Yeah, that's true. And the the purpose of that really is, again, to entrain your mind to a state where it can receive guidance. I mean, that really is why we do any of that. Hmm. Um, and And it may take years of effort for some people and then other people I know they start meditating and within a week they're they're um, able to quiet their mind completely and 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 receive messages so you never know until you try how long it's going to take to you know to train yourself just like there's some people that pick up a tennis racket and they can play tennis really well and other people practice for years and really aren't that good you know it's, you, you, but you have to try Absolutely. And that trying, do you know, I mean, I got my husband meditating. You know, I was a transcendental meditator for over, you know, 25 years. And mm-hmm. when I met my husband, he wasn't a meditator. He's a lawyer. You know, there's a lot of energy around that. It's a very proactive, mm-hmm. you know, it can be a very heightened adrenaline rush profession to be mm-hmm. in. And when I introduced well, I didn't teach it to him. He went out and was taught, you know, uh, officially as a, as a transcendental meditator. It just changed his life. I mean, the, it was like a mm-hmm. duck to water, do you know? Right. And it was just a fantastic thing for me to observe this, this mm-hmm. metamorphosis in him. And all you have to do, as you said, is just to try. You know, what does it take to try nothing? You know, and to overcome our resistances and our fears of going into the unknown. Because I think that's really what a lot of people have is this fear of going into the unknown and trying something that they've never tried before, which can conjure up feelings of not being in control and, Mm -hmm. you know, just trying and seeing the benefit of that can change your life. Yeah, and some people, if if they feel they really can't meditate, one good way to get into this kind of by a side door is dream analysis. Mm. You know, there, there's um, just when you wake up, write down your dreams and do research a little bit about dream analysis. And then what can come through the dreams can help you bring it into conscious reality. 
That's beautiful, and I'm so glad you brought that up. I happen to really love dream work, and I've done a tremendous amount of work as a Jungian analyzed person. So much of my uh, transformation came through dream work. And, you know, mm-hmm. when you really connect that, what you're just suggesting, with mindful awareness, and what I say is don't just jump out of bed like a, you know, a ball out of a cannon, which is what we do. Mm-hmm. We quickly get out of bed. We're so rushed that even if we take a couple of minutes, you know, I love the remembering of the dream. Do you know? Because mm-hmm. what gifts are there? It's so wonderful to be able to just take those couple of minutes that you're describing Mm -hmm. and to remember a dream, you know, of an image, you know, of a memory, of a symbol that is so rich with meaning of bringing the unconscious into the conscious awareness. Right. Um, You know, I was reading, um, and it might have been in your book, I don't know, but the... It was recently, so it probably wasn't in the book. And the idea that we have conscious reality, but then we have sub, you know, the subconscious, which is the dream, and then we have superconscious, which is this state we're trying to get to where we're connected to the guidance. Right. But the things that are in the subconscious are often um, blockages, uh, things like trauma. People mm-hmm. had really horrible trauma, like, you know, um, sexual abuse when they were toddlers, they often can't remember it in the conscious realm because it's all shoved down. It's all buried. Mm -hmm. And so um, working with your dreams, working with your fears, there's a lot of fears that you you can, um, uh, you know, get over and and directly... um, you know, face in the dream state, so maybe you won't have to actually face them in the conscious state. You know, you can work in the, that that um, subconscious arena and get a lot of work done there so you don't have to bring it into the conscious arena and then have bad things happen here. Absolutely. Such helpful work to be able to bring, you know, I have something in Live True called uh, present moment, present moment memory meditation, and it really is um, basically redesigning a memory from the past. You know, you have every right to own a memory that you have from your past that caused you pain and suffering. This isn't about washing it away or denying it, but it's putting it into a present moment context so that you're not mm-hmm. always at the effect of that pain. Do you know a lot of the somatic therapy work is helpful for that, so that you can bring it into a positive place in the body. There's so many different modalities and techniques to use that are so helpful. So I I agree. I think going into the, what I call in my first book, Says Who, it's like the subconscious, the storage room, if you will, mm-hmm. you know, of those past memories and traumas. And it's not that you have to relive them. It's a way into which to work with them so that you could bring it again into present time awareness so that you can bring a whole new way of looking at a past and bringing it into the present consciously. And you can release it in the conscious realm. Um, yes. There, you know, there are a lot of releasing techniques that have been taught by a lot of great teachers. And um, there's nothing but energy. I mean, we, we know this yes. from physics. So mm-hmm. the energy that's trapped in the subconscious 
from the trauma can be brought into the present awareness, even without reliving it. I agree, you don't have to relive, relive it, but the energy can be released so that it doesn't attract to you similar situations. Um, you can get the lesson, you can get the, you know, what you were supposed to get out of the experience right. without having to repeat it. Absolutely. And with being able to shine light on it with conscious awareness of who mm. you were at that time, that something perhaps traumatic happened to you is not who you are today. So you're bringing right. the present awareness of the self of today, which is not the same person, because, you know, we are constantly changing. And that some of the beliefs that we have around past traumas have really shaped our definition of our identity today. But we can change that at any given moment. You know, who we are today is not who we were yesterday, and who we are today is not who we might be tomorrow. Yeah, Carolyn Mace talks about um, why people don't get well, and it's around this concept that their whole psyche is, become, is being a victim and drawing yes. energy from other people through their victimhood. So uh, she calls it woundology. So, yes. you know, if people's whole existence is because they don't connect directly with source, like you would in meditation or other spiritual practices, especially breath work, you get your energy from others through this victim mentality. And, you know, the... You know, it's it's pretty well. The Celestine Prophecy talked about it. Carolyn Mace yeah. talks about it. But, yeah. you know, things through intimidation, interrogation, victimhood, or aloofness, right. you can draw energy from other people. But that doesn't do anything for your spiritual growth. And all it does is just keep you bound into in the third dimension for your energy needs. Absolutely. You know, and it's... You know, the, the word victim is very hard for a lot of people to accept about themselves that are, in fact, trapped in victimhood. Do you know, it's, it's very hard for a lot of people to identify themselves as a victim. Do you know, and I think that the understanding of that change is constant and our, our thoughts, as I say in my book, our thoughts don't attach to us, we attach to our thoughts. And we imbue our thoughts. Right with meaning and definition that we choose. You know, this is the art of choosing, if you will, and that you can change that choice at any time. So if you have resistance to identifying yourself as a victim, you can look at your thoughts that you feel trapped by in the woundingness of past trauma and decide if you Mm -hmm. want to change them, simply as that. That's the concept of changing a negative thought or impression into a positive one. And you're bringing up Mm -hmm. energy. You know, you're really identifying energy without giving it a label or a name. Your thoughts are either negative or they're positive. Mm Mm-hmm. True. So what else? um, Well, we've gone through, you know, the mindfulness, staying in the present, um, where does that lead you after you master that? You know, I think that, as we know, this is a journey. <laughs> this is our life journey, and I believe, personally, that it is an, a journey of evolution and transformation. It's a journey mm-hmm. of self-realization and actualization, and uh, for me, it's about the inner journey. It's about the inquiry, the examined life. You know, this is, again, by choice. And I think that if you're somebody who really is, you know, even if you feel fear about knowing yourself more and better, 
know that this is a journey of learning and that if you really want to embark on this journey, you know, and that we are, as um, Pierre de Chardin says, we are spiritual beings having a human experience, you know, that if you really want to understand your spirit and your soul, and you talked earlier about we live more compassionately when we are aligned with the authentic self, which we are, then it's Mm -hmm. a continuum. We continue on. This is a day-in, day-out, but even more precise to that, connected to mindfulness, it becomes a moment-by-moment journey. And the more mindfully aware we are of the moments that we are living, I believe they start to become more seamless. And we don't see such a division between living life from moment to moment. But in fact, the moments really have no beginning and end. And we are then living more present and more conscious. So it's a continuum. It's, it's, it continues on. This journey is, I think it's a quite an exquisite journey that is filled with suffering, as the Buddha said. There is suffering. We know that. Do you know? But there are also choices within the suffering, and we make choices. And as you brought up, Susan, about, you know, do you want to live your life journey, your spiritual journey, if you will, as a victim? Or do you want Mm -hmm. to live your life as constantly transforming and becoming? We know we are also constantly becoming. Being and becoming are always evolving. And to me, it's extremely exciting because it helps us navigate the waters of this life journey. And it, Mm -hmm. you know, by using some of these wonderful techniques and skill sets like mindfulness and meditation and present awareness of who we are and the better, deeper understanding of the self and the meaning of, you know, what it means to aspire to live a life more consciously and more aware, I believe that it's a beautiful unfolding like the lotus flower that emerges from the mud. Do you know? Mm-hmm. We are constantly opening. And that's pretty miraculous to me. And suffering is, in my mind anyway, suffering is when you have pain or fear of loss that's associated with an emotional reaction. Mm. Because if you take away the emotional reaction, a lot of times the pain can be overcome by either treating the cause or if the pain is, you know, there, um, I've been able to get away from it just by doing a little out-of-body work, you know, just mm. just not being so much in the physical, mm-hmm. and the pain tolerance goes way up. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, other thing is the, the fear of loss, um, you know, the fear of financial relationship, um, health, you know, any of the loss, even loss of life, which is fear of death, mm-hmm. any of those fears can be handled by um, mindfulness techniques and then the suffering goes way down because you're not you don't have the emotional charge so a great deal of when when you go toward becoming an initiate and finally a master is to master the emotional responses to things Uh, because I believe that that is what creates the suffering definitely and not and really understanding and discerning between the reactive mind, you know, and the observer, you know, that you right. can begin to understand Staying what I talk the about. Observer. Yeah, and I speak yeah. about it in my first book, Says Who, and I, I actually, you know, describe that in the steps of mindful awareness of our thoughts, 
because in order to change our thoughts, we have to be present with them and to be able to own them and to own them not in a reactive state, but in an observer right. state. Do you know? Yeah. So again, these are That's practices, true. these are skill sets, these are the chop wood, carry water exercises that we do on the life mm-hmm. journey so that we can move through life less as a reactor and more as an observer, you know, and really right. reap the benefits of that because there's tremendous benefits to gain from practicing mindfulness. You know, your senses become more heightened. You can hear better. You are a better listener. You taste your food better. The art of Mm -hmm. discourse becomes more refined. I mean, it's amazing the benefits that we get from practicing mindfulness. I say it's the gift that keeps on giving. And, And we really are here to master this phase of reality. I mean, it's mm. not the only phase out there. There's there's other phases. By you know, if if things suddenly changed here with frequency, we would find ourselves in a different world. It wouldn't be a third dimensional world anymore. So mm-hmm. there are many levels of reality based on the, the you know the inherent frequency that you're in. So this is like the school, though. This is like the hard, the at least the masters say this is the hardest place to be because of the extremes of duality. Right. So if we can do it here it'll be much easier to do it at the more refined um, vibrational rates of reality. Absolutely. I, I mean, and it's, the, it's um, I find it, it's interesting because, you know, you, we share this planet with so many fellow human beings and you see the different levels of awareness or awakeness, mm-hmm. if you will, and that, you know, it's again, it's just how you perceive this incarnation, do you know, if you look mm-hmm. upon it as this tremendous learning school to transcend the baser levels of consciousness, to, you mm-hmm. know, aspire to higher frequencies as you talk about energy, and I couldn't agree with you more on that, it's energy and frequency, and not to get, you know, stuck in the denser aspect right. of consciousness, which is fueled by hate and racism Mm -hmm. and all of the craziness we see on this planet playing out, you know, and I talk about that in Live True without giving the end of the book away, but, you know, I don't, I, I really question this idea of that these states of consciousness, people are like, oh, yeah, uh uh-huh, yeah, oneness and all that, whatever that is to them, that they, they look at you as like you're living on some other dimension of reality, well, I think that you dimension of reality is pretty exquisite, <laughs> if you ask me, personally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, I think that the way I understand it is that the spiritual evolution that we go through here, we first gain control over the physical, then we gain control over the emotional, then we can gain control over the mental. And your book is very helpful for the mental because that's really mindfulness is is gaining control over your thoughts and your state of mind. Okay, like mm-hmm. I said, if you're are you jumping ahead to the future and painting the worst possible picture and then suffering terribly because you're sure that's going to come true? A lot of people do that. You know, they mm-hmm. do. So, um, you know, the mindfulness the mindfulness to me is the control of or learning to control your thoughts. You're not your thoughts. You're much greater than your thoughts. Mm-hmm. But some people really get 
mired in their thoughts, and then they get stuck there. Exactly. So mindfulness is the way out of that. It is. It's a great tool yeah. for self, you know, for thinking regulation. Do you know? We, we, we think right. between supposedly forty to seventy thousand thoughts a day. We're not cognizant mm-hmm. of all the thoughts, but of those, you know, the percentage of that. But that we are very oftentimes drawn. You know, the energy goes to those thoughts oftentimes that have the most energy right. on them, and a lot of the times that the energy is around negative as opposed to positive. Mm-hmm. You know. And these are old habits of thinking, as I said. So mindfulness is a great tool to, again, become the observer, to become the witness of the, you know, constant busyness of the mind, which runs us ragged a lot of the time. And it's just a waste of real precious time, you know, that we spend just chasing our tails that way. Yeah, that's true. So if that truly is the, you know, the... Um, curriculum, as they say. You know, the Course in Miracles says the time you take is up to you, but the curriculum is the same, which I do believe. I I really Mm -hmm. do believe that the curriculum is the same for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, Jesus said, I am the way, meaning that you follow in what I do and you will get, you know, you will get through the curricula. Mm -hmm. So, um, so basically, when we are, are able to do all of these different masteries, then we are ready for ascension. Mm-hmm. And um, ascension is described in the Law of One and in the Bible and some other um, things uh, as the harvest, which is a little, you know, fear-based um, for some people, but it probably is very descriptive. David Wilcox doing um, a series every, um, for Pacific time, it's at 4, Eastern time, it's at 7, every Saturday on YouTube on Ascension, and he's one of the best teachers that mm-hmm. I've seen on Ascension because he's mm-hmm. got all this historical information, and he has all the information from the Secret Space Program, which um, that that whole um, space alliance picture of the of the information they're bringing in about the Ascension. Mm-hmm. So I believe that we're at this this point in time where um, where we will be. Uh, it's almost like a final exam, so mm-hmm. it, it now's the time to to you know study for this final exam and to get things straight so that when when this occurs, you'll be on the right side of the equation to get out of the third dimension. So absolutely, you know, couldn't that, couldn't agree with more. Yeah. You know, because I think that's why we're seeing such a heightened state of polarization of energies right now, playing out on this. You know third dimension and that's always the way it is you know that's always the way it is before Mm -hmm. the harvest Mm -hmm. um i hate calling it that let's let's call it the ascension that's (laughs) always the way it is (laughs) (laughs) harvest brings in (laughs) right yes exactly even david was saying you know everything's tilled under you know that's why we we don't (laughs) see these these past civilizations right like atlantis for example went through this where where it's buried way under the ice, you know, they're right. beginning to discover it now. But, but you know, these technologies, these really, Atlantis was more technological advanced than we are by far, and yet we are just now able to get our technology to the point where we can totally. see that they existed at all, it's and so we're true. ready for another harvest. Exactly, <laughs> I love it. It's so true. I mean, we're so busy studying, quote-unquote, history, um, how about some cosmic history? You know, I mean, yeah, like we're yeah. you know that's not taught 
certainly in an educational context. It's like, okay, know your history. Let's know what yeah. ha, what has befalled us prior, and let's know the repetition cycle, the samsara, if right. you will, of history cycles that you know mankind has been through thus far, and look at where we mm-hmm. are at this moment in time to, you know, really yep. awaken to where we find ourselves. Talk about present time awareness, do you know? And it is. It's yeah. like we, we are seeing this incredible polarization of energies, and, and yes, it has occurred mm-hmm. before. Yeah, it's, it's like, a, a, well, the, the description of the Kali Yuga is, is one that um, comes to mind. Uh, the Kali Yuga is the, the darkest time Mm -hmm. um and so you know i would say maybe not right now but certainly i was watching oliver stone's history um uh series Mm -hmm. it's just amazing when you really look at the history that was within the last hundred years of the two Mm -hmm. world wars and how many people died Mm -hmm. huge number i mean we don't learn this in our history books which is why oliver made this series we don't learn a lot in our history books 20 million russians died i mean Mm -hmm. you know it's it's you would not believe the number of people that died in world war ii Mm -hmm. and we don't we're not taught that i mean Mm -hmm. we're taught how many americans died but we have no conception of how what our what our immediate history is the last hundred years we just don't know we're, because no. we're not taught and we're it, not it's a shame you know, because we yeah. need we need to know our history we do we need to know our history we also need to be able to gauge consciousness do you know in the history of yeah. consciousness and you and to see the patterns of consciousness repeated do you know if you talk about consciousness mm-hmm. in in regards to even the World War Two you know understanding of the darkness that that was during that time and what mm-hmm. went on how do you really track consciousness and the levels of higher versus lower consciousness so that there was a manifestation of darkness that you you know that took hold and that millions and millions and millions of people died from that lower level of consciousness do you know and what are we doing today you know you talk about mindfulness in today's world, you know, in present time, the century, the time that we're living in right now, and that where are we repeating these patterns of unconsciousness? You know, that's a lot of what I talk about yeah. in Live True. I'm working on my third book right now, and I'm delving deeper even into that, you know, of where we really, you know, if you if you take the words of Christ, you know, forgive them for they know not what they do or done or will yep. do again, you know, what you want to give past, present, and future time frames to that sentence, mm-hmm. you know, having done, well, doing, and will do again. It's about timelines, too. Once mm-hmm. you understand timelines, I think that we're on a positive timeline right now. I think that the alliance, with the help of the Secret Space Program, has averted World War Three, which, mm-hmm. by the way, was planned, and many people assumed it was going to occur. Now, World War III would have probably been a lot more devastating than World War II because of the level of weapons that we have. Mm-hmm. But the um, extraterrestrials have been given permission to interfere in that because a nuclear weapon going off affects their dimension as well. Many of these beings are higher dimensional, so that they, the prime directive of non-interference is voided. And so there's many, many... Um, Examples of, of nuclear weapons being neutralized. 
there's many eyewitnesses of this and testimony in front of um, in some of the disclosure projects. So we know that there's been interference at a very high level of consciousness so that we don't blow ourselves up, mm-hmm. which I think is just wonderful. Yeah, right there with you on that one. <laughs> That's why we can have this conversation. And hopefully right. with more people awakening on the planet, do you know, not mm-hmm. not being in that, you know, as Aldous Huxley talked about the somatization, being in the asleep state, do you know, yeah. not being realizing asleep at the wheel the and not even knowing that you're asleep. Three. Yeah. Yeah. Because we did. I mean, there was times when uh, there's history of when one guy in Russia decided not to push a button because they had a a false um, reading of missiles coming toward them from the U.S. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it was a a, a Y2K thing. Right. And I mean, if you read about that, it's fascinating. You know, he, he was guided not to do it, and then he immediately got information that it was a false, um, false, uh, you know, wasn't real. Mm-hmm. And this weren't coming from the U.S. Well, if that doesn't let us know that we are hanging in the delicate balance. <laughs> <laughs> it really does. I don't know what <laughs> one will. Guy's, one guy's spiritual guidance in a silo <laughs> in, in, in Russia, <laughs> or he might not have been in a silo, but, you know, <laughs> with the ability to push a button. So that was just amazing. Exactly. But, um, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's why I made a reference in Live True to watch Kubrick's Doctor Strange Love. Do you know? Yeah. Because that was yeah, such a great depiction true. of life imitating art, art imitating life. Do you know? Yeah. It really yeah. shows you how easily, you know, we it could all be hanging in the delicate balance of just one madman, if you will, or perhaps many well, at this yeah. point in history. Um, and that yeah, there is something true. much greater, something much more numinous in in the mix here. Yeah, well, you know, I think um, I think that we're on a very positive timeline when it's going to be um, very good for everybody. So um, I agree with you, yeah, and that's I'm so the glad hope you're the saying that. Yeah, I agree with you, Susan. I am, you know, it's not just being a perennial optimist that I am, but I do believe in the power of light. It's amazing. It's powerful. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's divine. And it's, you know, what is darkness without light? What is light without darkness? I mean, that's like a Zen koan. You can sort of contemplate that. Yeah, that's why we're here all. to, you know, experience right. both. Because in the <laughs> higher realms, you don't have darkness. So you can't really, uh, you can't really right. forgive, forgive the person that kills your child because they're drunk, you know. That's what right. I use. It's like, you know, let's let's do forgiveness before we get to that point. So, um, right. so it's really true. Well, we're coming up on the end of our hour. Would you like to give your contact information? Uh, first of all, thank you so much for having me. So enjoyed this conversation with you. And I can be found, you know, on my website, auranadrich.com, O-R-A-N-A-D-R-I-C-H. That's really mostly all of my social media handles are under my name. So check in with me, see what I'm doing. I have some wonderful things coming up, and I always love to hear from people and connect in the on the cosmic highway that we're on. So you know, reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you. Well, great. Well, Aura, thanks so much for joining us. We've been interviewing Aura Aura Nadrich. Her book, Live True: A Mindfulness Guide to Authenticity. It's really a great book for those who are um, ready to 
developed some very important um, tools for uh, a much more peaceful living and, and um, again, controlling the mind, controlling the thoughts, and bringing yourself into a state of uh, where you can receive guidance. Thanks, Aura, and um, please join us next week for Temple of Health radio show.